I think one of the most extraordinary people in the Bible has got to be Mary. Now, I'm not exalting Mary, promoting Mary. You don't pray to Mary, that's for sure. But Mary was an amazing woman, an amazing young woman. When she was still a teenager, she had a visitation from an angel. I mean, hey, come on. And not just any angel, but Gabriel, one of the archangels, and telling her that she's going to be the mother of the Son of God. And this amazing teenager of faith said, be it unto me according to your word. Most of us would have been fainted cold on the floor. But she just said, be it unto me. But Mary also gave the best advice that a mother could ever give. Now, I want to talk to you on Mother's Day about Mary's advice. We're we're putting off the last part of our uh, little mini-series on Lazarus because today's Mother's Day. But I want to show you the advice that Mary gave um, at a wedding. And the advice she gave, I'm telling you, is the Word of God for every believer in here. The best advice a mother or anybody could ever give is what she gave at a wedding. So we're going to read in John 2, 1 to 11, and quickly we're jumping into a wedding. And it says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So that would be Mary. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I know what you're thinking. He just talked pretty rough to his mother. But, you know, when you study the original language, what what he's really saying is, my mother, don't be anxious. I'm going to act when it's time. Don't be anxious, mom. I'm going to act. I've got this, and I'm going to act when it's time. And he still says the same same thing to you and me. Don't be anxious. I'm going to act when it's time. Amen? Now, then his mother said to the servants, here's the best advice she ever gave, whatever. Everybody read it with me. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were set there six water pots of stone containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they did what Mary said. They filled them. They did what he said per Mary's advice, fill them to the brim with water. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, you know, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, Then the inferior, but you kept the good wine until now. And this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Amen. Father, thank you for this incredible passage and this story. And Lord, I just pray that you'll quicken it to us and help us to follow Mary's advice as a rule of life that whatever you say, we will do. Now, will you raise, just raise a hand and just say, Lord, speak to my heart today. I receive the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor, preach a little bit, say, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Amen. How many of you know that's good advice? You know that's good advice? Amen. Now, 
just jumping into the context of this story, the context is it's a wedding. And it's the place where Jesus performed his first miracle. So we, uh, as a little aside here, we can note that Jesus placed his seal of approval on the marriage between one man and one woman. He placed his seal of approval on marriage because that's where he chose to do his first, his first miracle. But this wedding also provides a snapshot of real life. There's, there's some real life lessons to be learned in this story of Mary and Jesus and this wedding. So I'm going to just pull some things out that spoke to me, and I'm not going to go very long, but I want to pull out some, some applications of this story and just apply it to our life because there's some things that we will look at and learn from what happened to this wedding. Our life will be blessed. Now, how many of you want a blessed life? You want a blessed life? Well, I'm telling you what Mary advised is the route to a blessed life. Now, the first thing I see from this story is that Jesus was invited. Jesus was invited. It says, now both Jesus and his his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, we don't know who first invited him. Verse 1 shows Mary already at the wedding. Verse 2 shows Jesus showing up after Mary had already arrived. It might have been the bride and groom that invited him. It might have been their family that invited him. But my point and what I want us to see is Jesus was invited. So he's a gentleman. I want you to notice that for Jesus to show up anywhere, he needs to be invited. Jesus waits to be invited. So as they invited Jesus, he would never have gone to that wedding. He never would have shown up. Mary would have gone, but Jesus wouldn't have gone. Because where Jesus goes, he goes where he is invited. He's a gentleman. And he will not force himself on anybody. He will not force himself into your life or mine. He waits to be invited. Now, to be invited, we have to exercise the will that God has given to us. If we're going to invite Jesus, see, it's a matter of our will. Somebody willed to invite him. And when they invited him, he showed up. And we're going to see in just a moment, thank God he was there because a problem arose that only he could have fixed. But it began with an invitation. Now, I want us to understand the Bible shows that all of us have a will. And with that will, we can let in or keep out any one of our choosing. Any person of our choosing, we can let them into our life or we can keep them out of our life. That's our will. We can let somebody in, we can push somebody out. We can let somebody in for a while and then decide to push them out. Or we can push them out for a while and then decide to let them in. But there's nobody that's gonna get into your space or mine unless we will to let them in. They've got to be invited. Now listen to what the Bible says. The Bible teaches that every heart has a door complete with bolts and locks that only we can unfasten. No one can make us open our heart to anything unless we unlock the bolts and the locks, unfasten it, and let them in. And the Bible teaches that Jesus desires to come into every life on earth. Do you know that, that Jesus wants into every life? If today you're not a committed Christian, 
Can I tell you that Jesus desires to come into your life? Jesus wants into your life. But here's the deal. He's never going to push his way in. He's never going to kick the door in. He's, he's going to wait for an invitation. Somebody invited Jesus to the biggest moment of their life, their wedding. And because he was invited, he came. The Bible says God so loved the whole world. Not part of it, not a select few, but God loves the whole world. Every person on this planet, God loves. And he loves you so much, he gave his only begotten son. That Whoever believes on him, and that means opens your heart to him, unlocks those bolts and locks, unfastens them, and opens the door and lets him in, invites him in. When he's invited in, he will come in. If he's not invited in, Jesus will not come in. He must be invited. He doesn't force his way into our space. He knocks. The Bible says he knocks from the outside in hopes that we're going to open up to him and allow him into our life. He will not stand there like the devil does. Here's what the devil does. He'll kick his way into your life, but not the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus knocks. He's on the outside looking in. He sees your needs. He sees your problems. He sees your struggles. He sees your hurts. He sees your pains. He sees your questions. He sees your perplexities. He knows your struggles, and yet he sits on the outside, stands on the outside of our heart, and he knocks. The Bible says, behold, this is Jesus talking, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Everybody say that with me, I will come in. But notice, he won't come in until we hear his voice and open the door. There's there's our will. We've got to open the door. If we open the door, he will come in. And he goes on to say, and I will fellowship with you and you with me. See, Jesus wants us to get to know him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. When he says, I will sit down and eat with you and you with me, that's a first century description. When, when they sat around in the first century and they ate together, that was a picture of fellowship. That was, that was the way they got to know people. And we do the same thing today. A lot of you are going to blow out of here and go to a restaurant together and fellowship together over a meal It's the same thing then, and Jesus said, I want to get to know you, and I want you to know me, but you're going to have to open the door. You've got to invite me in. I'm not going to come in unless you invite me. I'm on the outside looking in until you unlock the the, the door, until you pull the deadbolt back and let me into your heart. Now, some people say, well, Jeff, that's great, but how do you know he's knocking? You talk about Jesus knocking. What does that mean? I don't know what that means because I don't know how Jesus knocks. Well, you know, I thought about that question, and I'm going to tell you what I came up with. This is the best way I know to describe it. It's a moment of awareness that he is nudging your heart, that he is speaking to your conscience. I remember hearing the gospel sitting in juvenile detention center as a 16-year-old boy in a lot of trouble, and somebody came and shared the gospel with us. And I remember at first being real turned off. They had music, you know, kind of weird music. It wasn't my kind of music, Jesus music. And the preacher looked like Clark Kent. I thought, oh, man, I got to listen to this guy. 
because uh, he was in a suit in a juvenile home, in a suit in a juvenile home. He had black frame glasses, hair slicked back. He looked just like Clark Kent. And I thought, man, this is going to be so boring. But he stood up and he quoted John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And then he began to, to preach and share the gospel message. And I remember being convinced there was about 50 of us in there. And I had on this olive green t-shirt, bell-bottom blue jeans, tennis shoes, long hair. And I remember thinking, this guy is looking right at me. I wish he'd look somewhere else. But it seemed like he had picked me out. But you know what that was? That was Jesus beginning to knock. And I was feeling the knock because it was an awareness that something was going on that was more than just somebody talking about religion. As he shared the gospel, there came a knock on my heart, and I was aware. It was an awareness. It was an awareness that something was going on. It was his words. It was the, the spirit of God. It was the voice of God. It's speaking not to my head, but to my heart. And there was a tug towards God a sense of needing to confess my sin and get right with him. And I wasn't raised in Christianity. I knew nothing about Jesus Christ. But when I heard that gospel, there was a tug. God began to deal with my heart, and I knew something was going on. It was an unmistakable knock. Happening down here, happening right here. And, and, and there seemed to be a voice with it. Jeff, he's telling you the truth. You're hearing the truth. And if you will come to me, I will change your life. If you don't come with, to me, I can't help you. But if you invite me into your life, I can help you. But you've got to invite me in. And that night I did. I invited him in. I prayed a prayer. And he had been on the outside looking in at my ruined life. But now I invited him in. And when I opened the door and prayed and invited him in, you know what he did? He came in and he, and he touched me and gave me peace and changed me. And he does the same with everybody and anybody else who hears the knock and invites him in. Come on, church. <laughs> invited him in. Now, I don't know if you've invited him. Most of you who are here today watching by streaming video have invited him in. But if you have not invited him in and you're wondering about God, wondering if all this is true, I'm telling you, he's knocking on the door of your heart and he wants you to invite him in. You've got to open the door. You've got to undo the latch. You have got to open the door. But when you do, he will come in. He will come in. So everybody say, invite him. But then the second thing I see at this wedding, once he was invited and once he was at the wedding, a problem arose. How many of you have seen problems kind of happen? On a normal basis. How many of you had a problem this week? Uh, really? The rest of you were problem free? I'm going to try that again. How many of you had a problem this week? How many of you had plural problems this week? How many of you had a problem getting to church? Come on, tell the truth. How many of you? Listen, life is a series of problems that need to be solved. Now, a problem arose. And, and the Bible says, the problem was they ran out of wine. Somebody who was in big trouble made a mistake and miscalculated how much they were going to need for the size of the crowd. To run out of wine in a first century wedding was a big deal. It was a major embarrassment to the host. And we see here another truth about life. And I'm looking at this wedding and looking at what happened. 
how they ran out of wine. Here's where I see another truth that applies to you and to me. We all run out of things. We all run out of things. Life is a series of running out of things. I woke up this morning, went into my kitchen, and realized I had run out of coffee. This was major. I went into intercession. I had run out. I couldn't find any anywhere. I said, Cindy, is the coffee all gone? And she says, oh, no. And I said, I know. Oh, no. And I had to pray. Now, I'm happy to tell you the Lord sustained me until I arrived here. But I had the shakes a little bit by the time I got here. I ran out of coffee. But see, in life, you're always running out of something. Are you not? You're always running out of something, always needing to replenish something. In practical things, we run out of money. We run out of gas. We run out of food. We run out of shelter. We run out of ideas. We run out of time. We run out of things in life. Things get depleted in life. On the inside of us, we run out of strength. We run out of zeal. We run out of patience. We run out of hope. And we run out of love. And sometimes we even run out of faith. And we're struggling to find faith to believe God for what we need. We run out of things. And at this wedding, they ran out of wine. Now, this is where their decision to invite Jesus to the wedding was so wise because now they've got a problem they can't fix. And life also hands us problems bigger than us that we can't fix. And that's when you need God There was no time to run to the nearest wine store and buy a bunch of wine for all these guests. They were out of time and they were out of wine. The wedding was winding down. And this wedding that they had put so much into was about to end on a sour note. But one thing they had going for them is they had invited the son of the living God into their wedding. They had invited Jesus to the wedding, and Jesus was there when the problem arose. Folks, when Jesus is in your boat, let the storms come, let the winds blow, let the waves roll. When Jesus is in your boat, you've got everything going for you because he calms the storm. He stops the waves. He holds back the wind. He moves when we've invited him in. See, a lot of people wait till they're in huge trouble to invite Jesus into their life. But listen, invite him in now so that when problems come, he's there in the boat. He's there at your wedding. He's there in your life. In real life, problems come along that we cannot fix. Marital problems, bigger than us, money problems. I don't know what to do about this debt. I don't know what to do about my money needs. Temptation problems. I'm being overwhelmed with this temptation. It's beating on me. I'm about to mess up. Children problems, they go crazy on you. You wonder, is this a little, is this, is this, is this what I held as a little bitty baby? Is this, this creature looking at me, what I held as a little bitty baby? Is this being, this person that I'm looking at now, what I held as a little bit children problems, stress problems, health problems, crises that are bigger than we are. And with every problem we experience, we make a decision, where am I going to turn for an answer? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to look to for an answer, for a solution, for counsel, for advice to help me fix this problem? With every problem, we want to know where we can find 
the answer. Some people go to counselors. Other people head for the bookstore and they get self-help books. Some people turn to Oprah. Or friends. Or some kind of religion. Yoga is big these days. Meditation, big these days. Or we decide we're going to handle it alone. I'm just going to go through this alone. But the problem we find out is bigger than we are, stronger than we are. It's something I can't fix on my own. Life brings us problems that we can fix. And life also gives us problems we cannot fix. We need something higher than us, stronger than us, bigger than us, wiser than us to help us fix our problems. And it matters where you turn for answers to your problems. Out of everybody they could have gone to at that wedding, Mary knew where to go. Mary turned to Jesus. Mary went to Jesus. She could have gone to the host. She could have gone to the wait staff. She could have gone to the bride and groom. She could have taken this problem of lack in in 10 different directions. But she went straight for her son, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And she gave him the problem. She told him what the problem was. She didn't just say, we got a problem. She said, they have no wine. She specified what the problem was. She told him exactly what it was. And then she turned around and she looked at the wait staff and she gave the best advice that a mother could ever give. We've already read it together, but I'm going to say it, uh, say it again. She turned to the people that probably told her about the problem in the first place. The wait staff, hey, we run out of wine. She probably heard the scuttlebutt moving through the wedding. We've run out. And she turned to the wait staff and she said, listen, let me tell you how to fix this. Here's how you fix this. Go to Jesus and whatever he says to you, do it. Do it. Don't just say, wow, that sounded heavy, Jesus. Or that was really spiritual, Jesus. But she said, whatever he says to you, do it. Act on it. Obey it. Whatever he says, whatever he says, Do it. The answer to your problem will be found in whatever he tells you to do. Because there's no problem he doesn't know about. There's no problem too great for him to fix. There's no problem that's going to make him say, wow, that's, that's just beyond my pay grade. Oh, no. When you take it to Jesus, Jesus has an answer. I said Jesus has an answer. Jesus has an answer. And it says that what he's told them to do made absolutely no sense. No sense at all. Because because they needed wine. But he said, you see those six huge empty water pots of stone? And these water pots of stone held 20 to 30 gallons apiece. That's a lot of space. And Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. But they didn't need water. They needed wine. This made no sense. But Mary had said, whatever. Whatever, he says. It doesn't have to make sense to your natural mind. She said, whatever he says to you, you just do it. You just trust it. He knows what he's doing, and you just do it. They needed wine, not water. But they walked on the whatever. They obeyed whatever. And you know, very often what Jesus tells us to do makes no sense in the natural. It makes no sense at all. 
Sometimes we take problems to him, and what he tells us to do with those problems don't make any sense at all. For instance, you've got an enemy. Let's say you've got an enemy, and in the natural, you believe the way to handle an enemy is strike back, retaliate. In Texas, go whoop them. But Jesus said, Jesus said, when you've got an enemy, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Wait a minute, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. Do good to people that hate me? Are you kidding me? That's not what we do on this planet. We're not, we don't do good things to people that hate us. But Jesus said, do it. Mary said, whatever he says, do it. And you'll find when you do it, when you do it, when you, when you do good to those who hate you and you pray for them and you love them, instead of hating on them, it sets you free. And you find that he knew exactly what he was saying. But to get the divine result, you've got to obey the divine command. And I want divine results. I don't want carnal results. I want divine results. And if I want a divine God-sent response, then I've got to, I've got to obey a God-sent command. Here's another one. When we're offended, we're hurt by somebody. Rather than holding a grudge, Jesus said, but when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. But Lord, I don't want to forgive them. They don't deserve to be forgiven. But Jesus said, I know it doesn't make any sense, but those that you've got a grudge against, I want you to forgive them when you're praying. And you'll find out when you obey what he said, even though it doesn't make sense, forgiveness sets you free. We naturally think that the way to be top dog in life is to push and shove and climb the ladder of success. But Jesus said, you want to be top dog? The greatest among you must be the servant of all. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That doesn't make any sense, Lord. If I want to be on the top, then I've got to climb and push and scratch and claw my way to the top. Jesus said, no, in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. It doesn't make sense. But if you do it, then God promotes you. And when God promotes you, man can't bring you down. If you promote you, you're being put up there in the flesh, You're being sustained by the flesh. You've got to keep yourself where you put yourself. But if God puts you there, he keeps you there. He takes care of you there. And man can't take you down. So it's not whatever the world says do or people say do or Oprah says do or a counselor says do. If what they say doesn't line up with what Jesus says do. Amen. Amen. Now, the last thing I see in this story is this, the fruit of obedience. I want you to watch this. It's powerful. When the servants followed Mary's advice and poured, it was about 120 to 180 gallons of water into the pot. You know how long that took? To put 120 to 180 gallons of water into six water pots, that took some time. And don't you know that every time they're dragging water from wherever they got it to where those water pots They were thinking to themselves, what am I doing? We need wine, and I'm pouring water into these water pots. This is stupid. But they kept on doing it. You know why? Because even when you don't understand, you obey. You keep going. You don't give up. You walk it out. You do not lay it down. What Jesus tells you to do, you stay with it until the fruit comes. So they kept on doing it. And finally, six water pots are filled with 120 to 180 gallons of water. And then Jesus said, 
draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And when the head waiter tasted it, he said, a host always serves the best wine first. Then when everyone else has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. So watch this. Somewhere between pouring water into those water pots and drawing it out and walking in obedience to the host, a transformation happened. And Jesus turned water into wine. It was as they obeyed, as they did whatever he said do. A miracle took place. How many of you would like a miracle taking place in your life? Now, follow me now. It was still water when they put it in. It was still water while it sat there. It was when they... They obeyed the Lord and and scooped something in there and and drew some out. It was as they did that that, boom, something happened to that water, and Jesus turned water into wine. Listen, listen. He took what was natural, and he provided something supernatural. He took the ordinary, and he made it extraordinary. If you and I want to see the hand of God on our life, it is in doing whatever he says. And as we do what he says, somewhere in that obedience, as we're doing what he says, he takes an ordinary situation and makes makes it extraordinary. He takes a natural situation and turns it into a supernatural situation. I want to see the supernatural this year. So I'm going to be pouring water in water pots if he tells me to. And when he tells me to draw it out, I'm going to know that somewhere along that path of obedience, I'm going to see the hand of God. Come on, everybody. So what do you need the Lord to do in your life? What are you perplexed about, wondering about, seeking about? What do you need? Where's the lack Is it in your marriage? Is it in your money? Is it in your health? Is it in your mind? Is it in your spirit? Do you feel barren on the inside? Somewhere along the way you say, Jesus, you get into the Bible and I'm just going to read. What what did Jesus tell me to do? What did Jesus tell me to do in the word of God? Or in prayer you say, Lord, what do I do? And he impresses you with something. Then whatever he says to you, you do it. You act on it. And, And somewhere along the way, The ordinary will become extraordinary, and the natural will take on the supernatural, and you'll see God break through on your life. Can we stand together today? How many of you needed this today? Come on, everybody. Amen. So say with me, invite him in. I mean, invite him in. Invite him in. And then do. Let's say it together. Do whatever he says. Amen. And even though it may not make sense, now don't go do something unbiblical. Because whatever you think he's telling you to do, you got to check it out with the word and make sure the word amens it. But if the word amens it, go do it. Go do it. I mean, go do it. Go do it. Amen. We lift our hands to the Lord. Father, thank you today for your blessing. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible story, this incredible account of what Jesus did at the wedding in Cana, his first miracle. And we see, Lord, a key. We see a pattern. We see a message for us 
invite you in. When problems arise, take them to you. And then we will see the fruit of obedience. Now you may be here today and say, you know, Jeff, I don't know if I know Jesus personally. I have a question about whether or not I really do know him. Listen carefully to me. You can pray and God can take an ordinary life and make it extraordinary. He can turn the water of an ordinary life into the wine of an extraordinary life. He can turn, he can turn the water of, of an ordinary situation and make it extraordinary. He can, he can take what is natural and make it supernatural. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or even think. And maybe today you need Jesus in your heart. Can I just, can I encourage you? I'm, I'm going to give you an invi- uh, uh, invitation to pray with me to invite him into your life. And we're going to do it right where you're standing. With our heads bowed for a moment of prayer, can we bow? Maybe you've never said, Jesus, I invite you in. Only you can open the door. Only you can undo the lock. So right now, you can say, Jeff, I might, I might be that person. I think I am that person that needs Jesus in my heart. I want to invite him. Can you raise your hand right where you are to say, I want to invite him. I want to invite him. Amen. Then let's just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart. Forgive me my sin and cleanse me of unrighteousness. In Jesus' name, I open the door to you. Amen.